If someone wants to breathe correctly, where should their tongue be? So a tongue position is really, really crucial because it helps our nose to work better. Um, but it also helps us form our airways and our facial development when we're a child. So the tongue position should be in what we call the N spot. So when you say N, N, the tip of your tongue goes to the roof of your mouth. Then you pull the rest of the tongue up, mm. the roof of the mouth as well. Relax your face, relax your neck, and then hold it up. And as it's up there, we notice like a larger airway size through the nose. And to compare it, we can then like drop our tongue to the bottom of the mouth when it, with the lips closed and just notice as the airway starts to feel a lot smaller. And people will find that depending on the size of their sort of larger smile and larger face, larger airway versus someone who's got a very narrow face, maybe some teeth taken out or something like that, then they're going to notice a difference. And mm. um, those with a larger face, it will be not such a difference. Those with a much smaller face, it will make a huge difference to the point where you're like, oh my God, I used to think my nose felt too small. And now actually it's much, much easier. If my tongue is at the sort of top of my mouth, is it touching my teeth? So ideally it shouldn't be on the front top teeth. It should be just slightly pulled back. Some people say N slightly differently, but generally when you say N, okay. it is slightly pulled back from those front teeth. And it's a little bit like a ski boot, like you put the toe in, you mm. click down the heel, and then you ski off. Right. We don't want just the toe in, we don't want just the tip up, because then we're not actually pulling the tongue to the back. And um, there's sort of research showing that there's, um, if you put your tongue to the top front, it can make your calming side of your nervous system actually reduce. But if you put it up to the very back against the soft palate, which is where if you like put your tongue, thumb right to the back of your, the top of your palate, it gets really soft. This is where when we have it up against here, it actually reduces the stress side of the nervous system. So by having the whole thing up and holding up at the back as well means that we're actually going to calm ourselves a little bit more. So you get the double whammy of mm. um, breathing through the nose and actually calming the nervous system as well. I'm going to practice that. <laughs> <laughs> From your experience, how many people do you think breathe incorrectly i would love i would just love there to be this huge study with like really accurate stats um I'm, i have been really trying to find it <laughs> um i would say from from when i look around and i look at friends and family and people i meet in general i'm i'm quite shocked to find someone who's breathing really well all the time mm. the other day i actually went up to a guy and actually thanked him for making my day because he was breathing so beautifully <laughs> a, a stranger <laughs> yeah completely stranger. because it's so rare mm. that i see someone who's like he was standing there like really tall in this t-shirt and just like holding his phone up here not like down here but like holding his phone up and i could see this what i call the d spot moving and it was just so beautiful just watching this minimal ideal breath whereas most people i would see like they would just be crumpled down their, their diaphragm wouldn't be working or they'd mm. be like through their mouth or breathing fast or shallow and and so rarely do i see someone who is breathing really really well for like an extended period of time that d spot you mentioned yeah if someone's trying to breathe correctly what, what do you mean by that D spot? If you're trying to breathe correctly, don't have a chair like this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's just below the split of your ribs. There's a bouncy bit. Yes, yeah, I can feel that. And this is what I call the D spot. So I didn't name it after myself, like the G spot bloke. <laughs> uh, I named it after a diaphragm because what I realized was loads of people are talking about belly breathing. And there are three different parts of your belly you can breathe into. You can breathe into the D spot. You can breathe into the belly button. Mm. And you can breathe below the belly button. And 
belly breathing is very like suggests a sort of a bloat. We don't want to bloat. We want the diaphragm to be working. And the diaphragm is tucked up under the ribs here. So and it's fixed all the way around. And what we want is that to plunge down. And as it plunges down, the B spot moves out as we breathe in, and then it goes back in. And that's it. And most people will also be doing this. Or this will go in backwards. Mm. There's a backwards breath, or there'll be all three areas. And so this is what we call an overbreather. So somebody who's breathing more than they need to for the scenario. If I'm sitting here really chilled out, I shouldn't need to breathe any more than just using the diaphragm to the point where I just see that D spot moving. But it really helps people to connect with like the brain with the body as well by having a physical touch point rather than just like belly, which mm. is very generic and can cause a bit of problems as well, especially if you're putting loads of pressure on your pelvic floor. And um, so we don't want that sort of excessive breath. We want efficient, optimal, deep breath. What other um, what other common mistakes do you see when you're consulting with clients on breathing? Um, the tongue position is a really big one because, I mean, especially snorers will often have their tongue like at the back of their throat. So they're sort of they're lying there in bed and they're like, <laughs> 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 and versus if you put your tongue in the right position, same mm. face shape, you know, same airflow, and yet you don't snore. So that's like a really typical one of just tongue position needs changing. That then also helps people use their nose for the first time. But also I see a lot of upper chest breath. Um, the one that really gets me is the deep breath. So... Someone says to you, okay, take a deep breath. And if you've watched any cartoons, every cartoon does this. Um, a lot of yoga teachers, not all, some of them teach different ways, but I see a lot of yoga teachers doing this. And also, um, you know, your well-meaning friends or family or parents. And they'll say, take a deep breath. And they'll show you. They'll lift into their upper chest, maybe even their shoulders as well. And then they'll breathe out through their mouth. Like this. And a deep breath should go deep into the bottom of the lungs. So if you like imagine an upside down tree, like a trunk, the branches, and your canopy is at the bottom here. Mm. You've got a few leaves up here. So yeah, you can breathe into it, but it's really, really inefficient and a lot of extra energy and using all the muscles that are backup muscles for when you're cramped in a chair like this and you can't breathe in your diaphragm, mm. as opposed to using your diaphragm properly and actually drawing it down and filling into those optimal air of the leaves and getting, you know, the best transfer you can for the energy you've put in. So the deep breath is like the biggest one. I'm just like, oh, we just need to, we need people to know. And, and if you think about the, the education in the breathing world, it's like slogans on t-shirts, like just breathe. And you're like, oh. I mean, I am breathing. <laughs> so you either know what it means, in which mm. case you do the right thing, or you don't know what it means, in which case it just sounds like a ridiculous thing. But the deep breath is one where people think they know what it means. And yet, um, we'll kind of talk about habits today, but the, a real crucial one is we can retrain our breathing habits, our subconscious or sorry, you know, unconscious breathing habits, um, by using our conscious breathing habits to do so. But if our conscious breathing habits are backwards and wrong, we're obviously not going to improve those other breathing habits because mm. we actually think we're doing the right thing when we're doing the opposite. And that's one of the most crucial areas that I think we need to uh, re-educate on. That's kind of part of my huge mission. <laughs> so interesting. So how does one start to retrain their breathing habits? Well, first thing is a bit of awareness. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, know how I breathe and you know we can we can get our hands on um, I actually do like a free masterclass on this where and you, you've been to it mm. um where you can you can actually 
um, learn all the spaces of, you know, where to put your hands, where to feel all the different areas, how, how it's moving in different scenarios. And what, what I try to do is guide people through this because it is, there are a lot of subtleties. It is quite complex and, you know, trying to get it over in like two minutes and something like this can be really hard. So it's, there are, there are subtleties to it that we can kind of learn. Um, but getting your hands on and just feeling is the first thing. Mm. And then it's a case of actually watching and seeing if you're feeling what you can see, because often there's a disconnect. If somebody's an upper chest breather, they might be like, like, yeah, I can barely feel anything. And yet they're, you know, like this. And you're like, oh, it's quite a lot of movement, actually. You know, so it, it's it's associating what we can see, what we can feel, and then in what scenarios. So if you're, you know, at your desk or you've just checked your phone and like, you know, ping or something goes and you're like, <laughs> you just stop breathing and <laughs> you're like, oh, there's like 15 tigers in my inbox. And, you know, this is what a lot of people are doing when they're just they're just not realizing quite how much they're feeling really stressed. They're stopping their breath in a stress sense as opposed to a calm pause at the end of a breath before breathing again. And then they're sort of starting to increase um, in the upper chest. They're starting to go through the mouth. So just bringing a little bit of awareness is the first step. And then it's a case of starting to stack little habits using um, sort of uh, techniques that are the right techniques as opposed to, as I said, like the deep breath mm. that has often got wrong. So it's, it's it's that little bit of education that we're missing. And without that, I think it's, it's really bloody hard. Um, you know, most people are maybe trying to learn from like Wim Hof, which is a hack, which is like, I mean, it's got its place. It's amazing but it's not going to teach you how to breathe well all the time, mm. you know, nor is a yoga class, you know, three part breaths and increased breaths when you're lying down is not what we want to be doing all day. Um, so although they can be really useful using breath work for, for different hacks to get our body doing different things, we need to be actually learning a bit more about how do we reduce our breath? How do we slow our breath? Mm. How do we get it back to the nose? How do we get our diaphragm working optimally? Um, and then we can start to, instill that you know to bring it in because without that knowledge we're kind of a bit lost which is why we have this problem in the first place <laughs> if someone's listening and they think oh gosh that sounds like me i i see a stressful email and i stop breathing momentarily to in that moment of stress for people like that what well, is there any practical tips that you could give them to help in those situations i mean awareness is key so i mean it sounds silly but send yourself an email the night before that says check your breathing <laughs> so when you're in your inbox you see your own email saying check your breathing would be a really good start um you know just bringing back to a conscious breath as you're starting to read through things can be really helpful because you're then not allowing your body to just go into an instant reaction and you are actually starting to just bring some awareness and slowing it down um that would be kind of my first tip is just literally get that first bit of going notice where the problem is mm. notice if it's as you leave the house or as you're checking emails or as you're about to pick up the kids or whatever it is that you feel that is stressing you out and and bring the conscious breath in at that at that moment because you don't have to do it for long to make a difference you just have to stop it in its tracks if someone's listening and they're thinking they're not sure if they're a good breather or a bad breather are there any red flags that someone might look out for which might suggest that they're breathing in in a suboptimal way why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. 
Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey. Yeah, sure. So, um... My favorite ones are the nicknames. <laughs> so my personal nicknames, what have I had? Darth Vader. Who called you that? <laughs> my husband before we got together. Okay. <laughs> um, I used to watch like TV with him or mm. something when we, like years ago before we got together. And, you know, I would be mouth breathing and just sitting there watching a film and really audibly breathing. So heavy, loud breathing is the first one at any time when you're not like running, you know, if you're just sitting or standing, mm. that's a, a surefire one of over breathing. The other one, um, I also got called the predator. Um, also by my husband once he was allowed to share my bed um and this one i didn't know what a predator, what predator was okay? at the time <laughs> i had to like google it and i was like oh, that's a horrible nickname yeah, but gosh. you know i used to click in my sleep so mm. some people are used to like snoring and obviously that's easy but i used to go as my airway was kind of closing over and over so again it's this it's this blocking of our airway during our sleep. So that would be a real classic one. Um, and then we also have, one of my favorites was ostrich. So when I was running at school, I was really sporty, really fast. But I was I was a mouth breather and an overbreather, And I would literally like jump my head forward and like swing it to kind of try mm. and desperately get some air. And so this forward head posture, and we often notice it with people with just bad posture from phones. But if you feel like you're, you can't sort of stand against the wall with your head against the wall, mm. like everything up against the wall in case you're cleaning your heels, and that's not natural for you and your head's forward, then that's a really um, a sure sort of, you know, a sign that you basically could have a restriction in the airway or that you're, you're holding your posture in a way that you're trying to get more air. So um, it can be caused by one thing and the other, kind of a cyclical thing, but this is something to look out for is just posture and actually how are you breathing in that way. Mm. And then for a lot of people, it's things like, are you feeling anxious all the time? Are you getting panic attacks? You know, panic attacks is, yes, it can be a mental stimulus, but I mean, I haven't yet had somebody coming to me with panic attacks who hasn't also had a breathing issue. So it's a case of, again, it feeds into the breathing and the breathing feeds back into it. You've got mm. to cut it somewhere. And although you can work with talking therapies or, or different, different methods um, or thinking something at the time, sometimes you actually just need to literally take a hold of your breath mm. and to then let your brain think again. So these are areas that are really typical. Um, others might be that you're feeling really disconnected from your body. You're feeling like you're living in your head. You're kind of, you've lost that awareness, that connection, and that can be a, a good sign that breath is something you want to be able to connect back with. Um, or even just um, finding that your nose is always stuffy 
um, that you sort of feel like it's a bit small. Mm. Um, things where we just don't feel like it's that easy, actually, to nose breathe. Or we're like, I don't really understand where that D spot is, Jane. You know, I can't find it. These are sort of um, areas where I'd be like, there's going to be some sort of um, reduction in, in quality of that breath. And, you know, when you times that by 20,000 breaths a day, it makes a really, really big difference. So how much the average person breathes per day this is a sort of like pluck out the air average yeah. between you know so people can breathe a lot less and a lot more mm. um but yeah twenty thousand is a kind of number that's generally used because it's quite a lot <laughs> what's the benefits of nose breathing nose breathing is amazing so nose breathing is like our filter it filters viruses bacteria particles allergens it warms and moistens the air and it also pressurizes it, preparing it to get it deep into the lungs. So when we use our nose, we're actually more connected to using our diaphragm as well. Mm. Um, so cue mouth breather, upper chest breather as the opposite. And the nose is able to slow the air as well. So you can calm the nervous system by doing that. But you've also got nitric oxide, which is created in the nasal cavity. And if you just like Google nasal cavity, if you've never seen one, like the brain's huge, but mm. the nasal cavity is also massive. <laughs> and we have this like nose on the front. Everyone's like worrying that's too big or whatever. <laughs> but actually the nose is incredible. And we have this huge space. And if it wasn't important, we mm. wouldn't have this huge space in our skull. Um, but we create nitric oxide. And nitric oxide, um, along with carbon dioxide, are like the backstage crew. So I often talk about like the actress is oxygen mm. and everyone's like, oh, oxygen's so amazing. We want more oxygen. And oh, mm. you know, give her the flowers on stage. But actually it's the backstage crew. So if you've been like, like finance or admin, you'll know how this feels. Mm. Like you don't feel as super uh, appreciated in, in the space. And, you know, actually you're really needed to make things work. So um, carbon dioxide is the, um, the waste gas. Mm. So we have the oxygen come in, add it to the carbon from our food, make the waste gas in the cells. And that's expelled. And we do want to get rid of it. Like it, we don't want too much of it in our body. However, if we're an overbreather, if we're breathing too much all the time, then we're actually dumping it too fast. And it's got a job to do before mm. it goes. So um, carbon dioxide and nitric oxide, which is created when we nose breathe, and even more so if you hum. So if you're like a cyclist and you get a bit stuffy and manky when you're cycling, mm. you can hum on the way out and that increases that nitric oxide to kind of help keep things keep clear. Nice top tip. Um, <laughs> but those two gases together mm. help um, open up the airways, open up the blood vessels. And then it's a little bit like having red buses in mm. your blood so that um, you want like a motorway, you want all three red buses side by side, carrying oxygen from the lungs to the brain, for example, to the muscles. And when they get to the destination, you want like little porters opening the doors mm. and it's the carbon dioxide that does that it changes ph and it's all scientific but effectively imagine porters opening doors getting oxygen getting off buses and if we have optimal breathing we've got those three buses arriving all at once and you know all six doors open and we can deliver that oxygen and we're like e excellent okay mm. great sleep great recovery um you know keep going during a sport without feeling tired um, this is a major one. But if we overbreathe, again, that reduces, everything narrows, the buses stack, the oxygen's mm. in your blood. You've worked really hard for it, guys. Like that oxygen's in, everyone's saying, oh, we just need to breathe more, breathe more. Mm. And actually like, no, breathe less because you're getting enough. Um, you know, often we're, we're expelling like 80%-ish of our oxygen when we're just sitting down that we bothered to get in. Mm. So it's like, unless you're at altitude or doing something in particular that's more extreme, we don't need to be breathing a lot more. We actually just need to be delivering what's already in our blood. And that's the crucial bit we, we don't get taught. Why can human beings breathe through our mouth if we're not supposed to? Well, if your nose blocks, then you mm. don't die. That's a good reason. If it gets damaged, 
punch in the face, whatever. You don't die. <laughs> it's a good backup. It's a good backup yeah. plan. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, breathing is kind of crucial to us living, so we need a way to survive. Um, but there's a very big difference, as you know, between surviving and thriving. Mm. And so I was a mouth breather till I was 30. <laughs> um, I was a snorer. And my entire face shape is very narrow. My, my teeth are very narrow. Uh, I've had braces to widen it. I've had braces to kind of like help straighten. But the fact is that we need correct <clears throat> breathing while we're young. You know, we, we have our tongue in the roof of our mouth as a baby. We're, we're breastfeeding potentially if, if we're lucky. And that helps mm. form a lot of um, strength in the face. Obviously, not everybody can, no judgment. But it, it is good for our face um, to form. We want to chew. That's good for our face to form. We don't really chew much anymore with our ultra-processed diets. And then we also want to have that tongue in position so that we're nose breathing. So as soon as you become a mouth breather, and then maybe your swallowing can go out because you can get like a forward thrust swallow, which I had as well, pushes these teeth forward. So now I can't close my lips. Right, okay. Even though I had braces and mm. nobody told me, so then I kept doing this, <laughs> kept mouth breathing. And uh, so these little things that we need to, to keep good habits they mm. can make quite a difference to our facial structure and therefore airway and for me i do have an impacted airway size so if i run um i've been sharing pictures recently of me like taped up on my mouth and then taping my nose slightly up i'm trying different techniques i'm now going to try like opening up the nose with the little uh, plastic dilators mm. and trying strips i'm going to try different ways but i could run for seven minutes at about level six on a running machine until i started to feel dizzy and that was purely like strapped up, solid nose breathing with that lifted. Had I left that down at my normal nose size because of my impacted airway, I would have probably not got to seven minutes. I would have given up after two or three. But the taping the nose up, that just makes, literally makes it wider, more air can go in. It just helps. So yeah, so if you want to like get more air, if you're struggling or if you're wearing mm. mouth tape at night like I do, like I lift my nose just to get a little bit more air if I need mm. it until I've calmed myself a little bit and then I can go mm. back to less or if I've got like a reduced nostril size, it just helps a little bit, but you can't like run around like this. <laughs> um, so I know that it is impacted. Mm. It's just that, you know, I'm not a high end athlete. I was really sporty, but I was always held back by something mm. and I, I now know it's my breathing. So yeah, it's just something I have. I'm not going to go through the surgery to try and deal with that. Out of all the things that you could have been, you decided to be a breathing retrainer. Why? Well, <laughs> um, I didn't realize it was a thing to be able to actually help someone with their breathing. And it was purely through personal situations. So when I was 30, I heard a podcast that uh, I could retrain my nose that felt too small and that retraining your breathing habits was even a thing. Um, and I was just like, hang on, like, what? I've been wondering about this since I was seven. Like, my nose has always felt too small. And I, and I sort of remembered back to this, this memory of, of sitting on my floor in my bedroom. And I was like, my nose feels too small. Like, I, I can't breathe through it properly. You know, I can, I can get air through it. But like, my mouth just feels a bit more comfortable, you know. So I'll, mm. I'll, I'll just do that. Like, surely if it was a problem, someone would have told me. And the thing that really comes back to me is that surely if it was a problem, someone would have told me. And I think that particular memory is why I do what I do now. Um, I hadn't quite realized the impact it would have. And so learning from starting this podcast and then, you know, literally like rabbit down a, down a hole, like in all these different areas. And I, I just, I got so excited mm. um, to find out all the things. I was like, 
that explains why I was always tired in the morning, even though I'd sleep for hours. You know, that explains why when I was like the sportiest in my year, and yet I still would always struggle more than the others to kind of keep that pace to recover. Like I was really slender as well, but I think that breathing has a huge amount and I was always um, sort of struggling with that. And then age 12, I had my first panic attack. I was running for help. (laughs) Um, And my doctor actually sort of diagnosed me with sport-induced asthma. Mm. And what I found really interesting about that looking back is I was a mouth-breathing child, my tongue down. My face was really narrow. There wasn't space for my tongue in the roof of my mouth, which, you know, is where it's meant to live. And I was over-breathing in general. And then I was obviously in this scenario, panicking and running for help. So you can imagine why I would have a panic attack Mm. in that scenario when my airways are closing up and I'm over-breathing through my mouth. But what they thought was sport-induced asthma because they were like, well, you're struggling to breathe while you're running. And they didn't really have maybe the education around mouth breathing and the impact that actually has on this over-breathing impact. So what happened is they gave me an inhaler and I used this inhaler, this blue inhaler, And whenever I hadn't taken it before my hockey or whatever I was doing, I would freak out. I would start to have another panic attack because I was worried that I needed this external thing to be able to just do what I'd been doing for years. And what I realized was when I was actually able to calm down and my my teacher would calm me down, I was actually okay. Mm. But it was the panic that would rise because I'd sort of become disempowered and like given my my ability to to breathe out to something else rather than actually being taught like right you're an over breathing mouth breather first of all we need to get your mouth widened which I did eventually have braces to do that and um you know and that you need to be able to learn how to breathe again through the nose you need to be able to actually uh, pace your breathing mm. to be able to breathe officially into the diaphragm again I was upper chest breathing <laughs> you know gasping like this and and these sorts of situations, they just, in isolation, they're like, oh, you know, my kid, you know, struggles to breathe or, oh, you know, like, oh, it's just the way she is or what. But actually, these are quite serious areas that can really impact. And then, you know, as I went on, anxiety increased, stress increased, mm. sales and things like that, which are high pressure roles. And just throughout my life, there was always these next steps that I realized were kind of um, linked to breathing. Mm. Um but those were the first ones for me. And then it was when I started working with clients and I started to see the results for them. That was when I was like, okay, this isn't just a side hustle anymore. This is like, this is really, really important. And, um, you know, one of my favorite um, clients was a, a guy who was 41 and he'd he'd had his, um, his throat um, damaged by a rope um, that he rode into when he was 16 and completely severed, um, which is horrendous. And he obviously had to have life-saving surgery, was in a situation where he was um, not able to sleep in his his bed with his wife. Mm. He was lying on a yoga mat downstairs in the bedroom, sorry, in the, downstairs in the lounge because he, he didn't want to wake the whole family and yet it's still too close. Um, you know, snoring like a jet engine, sleep apnea, scared to go to sleep, and, you know, feeling really anxious. If he got, if he got anxious, his voice would go really tight mm. and, and then sque- squeaky. And he had this impacted airway from the accident. And he, he kind of came to me and he was like, you know, can you help? And it was quite early on in, in, my, in my career doing this. And a, a sort of friend had recommended saying, you should, you should talk to this breathing lady. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, look, quite honestly, I have no idea. Like, mm. I've not dealt with this sort of thing before. You know, what have you been told medically? And he was just like, well, you know, I went through everything. I went to physio. This, this, there's nothing more they said they can do for me. I've been to the doctor. They tried to give me a CPAP, couldn't get on with that. And I was like, okay, well, 
you're not breathing well. Um, so let's just start there and you let me know how it goes. And within six weeks, he was back in his bed with his wife. Mm. He was mouth taping at night. And obviously there was going to be some um, noise because there always was when he was breathing because of how impacted his airway was. But he was able to um, stop napping in his van in the night. He was able to have energy after after work for the kids. Um, he started doing sport again because he couldn't even run without collapsing before that. So, you know, like his entire life changed from just changing his breathing habits. And I was just like, I need to give up the freaking day job. Like this is <laughs> this is such a mental, you know, I knew it was important on me. Mm. I knew the impact it had on me, but for somebody more extreme, um, I just realized like this is very, very powerful. Mm. Um, and that's when I kind of gave it up. And uh, yeah, next person I met was my postman and he became a client <laughs> as well. <laughs> you know, I mean, bad mm. breathers are all around. It's just purely a case of does somebody actually feel that they're struggling with, mm. with anything and um, that they can then realize this may be linked to breathing? And, and two, is it big enough a problem for yeah. them to actually bother? And, and that's the only thing. Most people need, just need to know a slight tweak. Some people need a lot more help than that. When I think of like the ADHD community specifically, and these are issues that everyone faces, but w within the ADHD community, they're really common anxiety, trouble sleeping, focus and burnout. Uh, uh, if we start with anxiety, for example, is if someone were to look at their breathing techniques, would that, can that help with anxiety? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Yeah, so anxiety is like a, a vicious loop. Um, if you look at an anxious breath, it's usually sort of higher in the chest, a bit shallower, shorter. Um, it's often through the mouth, mm. but that sort of <laughs> exaggerated, you can often see it. And so there are always going to be anxiety triggers in life, you know, and we can work on those through certain other methods. But when you feel an anxious breath, if you're already an upper chest breather, you can't feel the breath that's changed because you're already there. Mm. If you retrain your breathing habits to become a diaphragmatic breather, where I'm, I'm not sitting here right now, like, that's normal. You know, this is, this is not my, my norm. My norm is down here. So if I sort of suddenly go, I'm going to notice the mm. difference. I'm going to feel it. And you're going to visually see it as well. And you can, you can cut in there and you can start to um, use breath work or, or conscious breathing, whatever you need to do to kind of to stop that going any further and nip it in the bud. And therefore, you stop it going on. The other part of it is if you retrain your habits to something where you're not always exacerbating anxiety coming on, for example, like um, women when they're premenstrual notice an increase in their heart rate and their breathing rate. And it's so subtle, we don't notice. Mm. But we we definitely notice the extra level anxiety, etc. So being able to 
um, change the habit in general. So it is slower, it is further down. We have got these conscious habit stacks that I kind of create. Um, this allows us to check in more regularly throughout the day as kind of just a routine habit, as opposed to being like, oh, I must do what my physio told me. You mm. know, that we never we never do our physio exercises, but this is different to that. This is actually changing your way of life. And so you actually can nip it in the bud well before it comes on because you've got so much more control because you're just doing it subconsciously mm. now. So it makes a really big difference. What about if someone struggles to fall asleep at night? Again, um, I bring in, again, a habit at bedtime. So all of my clients will actually have a two-minute bedtime routine. That's it. I don't ask anybody to do more than two minutes because um, <laughs> this is why it works really well for ADHD. A lot, of, I, a lot of people struggle with breathing when they have ADHD because it's, it's a bit like either it feels a bit like a trigger for them that as soon as they think about their breath, they're like, <laughs> they're suddenly over breathing. Like, or like if they, they think I'm looking at them and mm. I'm like, I'm really, I'm really not watching all the time. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but this, 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 um, awareness at nighttime of like, we need to slow our heart rate down. We need to calm our nervous system and mm. we need to also prepare our breathing. So it's not like, <sighs> which is what some people are going to bed with effectively. They're taking the stress into the night mm. and then they start to snore with this rise and dump. And when we can um, calm our breathing habits, we can get back to our diaphragm, we can reduce it. When there's no longer a norm for us, we can get the benefit of the daily breathing, but also that last, just preparing our body and making mm. sure that we've brought it down. We don't carry on those habits straight into sleep. And it makes a huge, huge difference. So interesting. And if, if someone's listening and they struggle with focus is like an increased ability to focus on a knock-on effect of less anxiety or is there like specific breathing techniques that focus primarily on fo on focus i think focus is actually a little bit more complicated than we give it credit for i think people struggle to focus for different reasons um some of it can be stress or or anxiety. Some people can focus better when they're under stress. For example, ADHD is like, you know, yes. it can be much easier when there's like a deadline in 24 hours or four hours mm. as opposed to like, oh, it's like three days away. Yeah. And you're like two days of kicking around. And then, you know, so these these times of, of focus can be depending on is it an interest focus or is it a case of you're feeling like a bit brain foggy and you're struggling to kind of actually like refocus. I would probably say, really, we just want some oxygenation to the brain would be a good start. Mm. If we're not getting that, that would be the first thing to check. And so if you're over-breathing, so if you're, you know, through the nose even, but you're sort of like effectively shallow, mm. very fast breathing, even slightly audible now, that's not going to be great if you want to actually deliver that, that oxygen from those buses. You know, your buses are kind of driving past right now. And some people do use breathwork hacks that are more um, exacerbated hyperventilation techniques. And they sometimes also then do breath holds as well, where they're trying to like try to get in the oxygen and then kind mm. of trap the CO2 and then hack it that way. But actually just calming down your breathing a little, just slowing it down, bringing it down. It's, it's enough to, to increase the focus for most people. It's just getting a little bit of control. And what I can find is really useful is pausing the breath just long enough to restart it. So it's not a case of going, calm down, I can't. Mm. You know, we can't always stop a running train, but if we, or we can't slow a running train, but if we actually stop something and restart it, we can restart with intention. So um, the technique I kind of use with people who have panic attack, anxiety, um, asthma, if they've, if they've got a, like a hot flush coming on, if they're perimenopausal, you know, these are all things that people like feel it runs away with them. And so again, we just pause 
and then restart intentionally into where we want to go. So whether it's calming it slowly, whether it's getting to the D spot, whether it's getting it quiet and taking it a step at a time. A lot of people are in a rush to get there and actually just giving yourself a moment to say like, I'm not trying to go from like, you know, where I am to perfect in mm. two seconds. It's what can I do to just gradually get control and know that I've got the power to do that. And most mm. people are just not empowered. They, they, they don't realize how powerful their breath is or that they have the control to do it. So mm. that makes a huge difference. It's fascinating. And I think, what about the, particularly with ADHD, you sort of go through these cycles of extreme interest, overwork, burnout that arc which yeah. we're just oh so familiar with lots of people but specifically with the, the adhd community is there anything that someone might be able to do regarding their breath work to take more control over that arc i would actually say that this is wider than just breath because as much as i'd be like oh yeah this is like a fix for everything it's not like this is this is an underlying part to everything else um you know it is the link to the next stage of mm. things Breath is something to bring awareness to the body. It also gives you control. It can make you feel empowered. You can feel that you've got a little bit of um, ability to impact your sleep, to impact, you know, whether you're going to need coffee or, you know, whether you can do something else. So you can use your breath in that way. But what I'd say is really crucial is tracking. So what I personally do is I have a... Um, uh, like an A5 diary, like a, like a school diary, you know, mm. the ones with like the Monday to Sunday. And I try to keep it with the all equal days. Mm. And I write down at nighttime. So again, it's hard to remember to do things. We have to do things that are going to trigger us to remember. So I have it just by my bed. And each night I write down things like, and, and it's quite a list that I've built up to, but I, I'll do things like what my energy level was. So I'm tracking against, and I'm because I'm a woman, my menstrual cycle. So I'm, I'm knowing what's normal for me on day 19. What's mm. normal for me on this day? What's normal for me on a Friday, for example? You know, and then I'll track things like how I went to the toilet that, that, that day, which, you know, sounds ridiculous. But actually, if you were constipated, for example, you might not have had enough water. It's kind of a basic need. Um, and it, it can help you realize what's going on. Or if you had a really, um, you know, a really runny tummy, maybe you were feeling particularly anxious that day. So you're sort of tracking through things like that, that mm. you don't actually normally become aware of. And a lot of people, because they're not tracking anything like this, and I, I'm not like, you know, measuring, this is just literally writing down. Um, it's a case of, if you can't remember how you went to the toilet two mm. hours ago, like we're really not in tune with our body. So it forces you to bring that little bit level of attention that you didn't have. Mm. And you can start with one or two and you can build it up. Other things I write down are things like for women, vaginal discharge. If you're not getting any when you should be, then you might well be very anxious and very stressed and holding everything tight. So again, it's, a, it's showing you a bit more about your body. And when you start to see things going awry, you can see them in symptoms. It might be that, did I eat well? For whatever well, well means to you. Um, did I move? You know, I write down, like, I walked to school mm. or something, or I went to the gym or I did some, some you know, natural movement on the floor. But if I didn't write anything down, because I'm like, oh, I didn't really do anything. Either I can be like, well, before I go to bed, I'm going to go and do 10 minutes. So I've done some movement today that I hadn't otherwise done. Or, you know what? Self-compassion. Today, we didn't do any of these things. I didn't actually eat that well. I didn't drink enough water. I didn't move that well. I was at my desk hyper-focusing all day. I felt really productive. Write that down too. Really good energy. You know, really, you know, all the things you might want to write. But I didn't do these crucial things. And if we can track those, mm. then within a week, you're starting to see all the patterns of the things you know you need. Like, we know we need to breathe well. We know we need good food. We know we need movement. We know we need sleep. 
And if you've, you know, your kid's woken you up three times a night for the last three nights on top of everything else, you're going to need to put a little bit of like um, focus on those things that you're missing. Otherwise, you're going to very quickly mm. burn out. And that for me has been a huge difference. And, you know, I, I don't um, associate with having ADHD, but I do feel that I'm on that spectrum somewhere. <laughs> uh, you know, I do feel that when I don't look after myself, mm. oh my God, do I feel symptoms much more so. When I do, do I feel much more in control? Yes. Uh, when I'm premenstrual, does it feel much more extreme? Yes. So it's it's tracking what's normal for me mm. and, and these still simple things that people way overlook and we don't need apps, we don't need watches, we don't need rings to tell us this stuff. Mm. Actually, by making ourselves write it down, we're making ourselves be aware in a way that we're not when we're outsourcing to tech. So that, that's what we, that would be my mm. suggestion. It's a little bit outside breath. <laughs> well, that might be a good time, actually, to see if you relate to this week's washing machine of woes. And every week, we, I ask the ADHD Chatter podcast community to send me their biggest woes. Okay. And I put it in a washing machine because it's symbolic of memory loss within the ADHD community. And I reach in and I pull out a woe and I ask my guests if they relate to it. You said you don't... Um, um, think that you're ADHD, but it'd be fascinating to ask a non-ADHD if, if you relate to the woe. So we'll see, we'll see what you think. I certainly have a lot of overlap sometimes, so that's uh, interesting. A member of the community has written in and they've said, I'm a believer that ADHD doesn't just make us sensitive to rejection, but it also grants us the ability to pick up on subtle energetic shifts in people. Literally, I can see the little changes in people's faces rather than their words interesting so i feel the rejection thing is interesting because i don't have a really strong element of this um but i i do think the rejection element could be more down to our upbringing um i do think that the AD, the adhd community is also lumped in very much with there's trauma and there's lots of other things kind of overlaying and i think a lot of it is people aren't just um, experiencing similarities in this sense, they're actually all experiencing quite a lot more and it's it's hard to kind of pull them all apart. Mm. So that's my personal opinion on it. And it, I think on the rejection side, um, yes, I've had those times where I'm like, oh, you know, what about that text? And, you know, I have, I have experienced it, but it's not huge for me. Mm. When it comes to um, the other side of things, you know, I do find that now, I do, I do find that I, I do relate to, to a lot of it. It's just that that rejection bit doesn't feel strong mm. and it, it's hard. Um, I don't really know how to explain it on that one. The, 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 I guess the rejection sensitivities for is, I think, what they were probably referencing. And um, I've spoken to many people with ADHD who, who said similar to you. They sort of feel it a bit, but they don't get that rage or that complete sense of injustice. Um, but other people, it was completely, you know, soul destroying in that in that moment. What about what, the, what was the second bit on that? I forgot. Essentially, it was um, intuition and, and being able Intu to be an amazing judge of character. Yeah, sorry, my brain was a bit like excited all over the place. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that associate. Um, so the intuition side is interesting. So I find that if I'm passionately talking about something, mm. I'm so focused on what I'm saying, I'm actually quite oblivious to the cues of the other person. If I'm with a client, for example, on Zoom even, I can pick up the teeniest, tiniest things. Like, I mean, I watch breath for a living. Like mm. I'm, I'm kind of like really focused on minimal stuff. So I do pick up quite a lot in terms of facial cues or like slight shifts in body and, and things like that. And I'm very in tune and quite empathetic in that mm. way. So yes, I can really relate to that, but I also am quite blind to it. And I know that's my blind spot when I'm being really passionate. Mm. 
I, I, I love those bits. It's almost like a, a bit of free therapy for me. <laughs> Handbrake turn, back to the breathing. Um, correct breathing, how important is it for children? I mean, you know, like one of the most important things. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff going around about ADHD and breathing at the moment. And I, I don't really have an opinion on this um, because I think they need to do a lot more studies into what ADHD even is, let alone how it might be caused and all of that. So I'm not going to give an opinion on what I think some people have in this area. When it comes to children breathing in general, mm. one, we should be teaching our kids empowerment of their own bodies. So if we're not giving that education that they can calm their breath themselves, or they know what you know a deep breath looks like, all that, it's kind of a basic need. And mm. I think if you're going to go through trauma, which pretty much every child experiences a form of trauma, whether it's um, you know little T, big T, whatever people call it, you know, um, we experience hard things. It's it's how we're wrapped around that, how we how we can become resilient, how we're cared for around it. And if we've got our breathing down and we kind of understand what to use it as a tool, that puts us in a really good space. We can feel safe again. And that's a scary one for children who can't get to that because they don't know how to feel safe. The other side is um, that facial structure. You know, if we are mouth breathing and snoring at night and we're you know, as much as we might like think a child looks mm. cute like that, you know, catching flies. I remember joking about it as a kid, like, oh, look, mum's catching mm. flies, you know, in the car or whatever. You know, unfortunately, that can impact a, a, a child's face. You know, it can impact their airway, it can impact their sleep quality and their energy levels and their focus and their brain function for the rest of their lives, you know, if they're not dealing with that. So, um, yeah, this is, I mean, I don't know if you know, I wrote a book um, recently, it's coming out this month, so Rose Loses Her Nose, and that's why I wrote it, because it's it's for young children mm. to read with their parents, because the parents don't know either, and there is no education at this age. And this is, you know, up until we're 12 is when our face is developing. If we have our tongue in the right place, we're breathing well, we can develop that face as well as, as much as we can from the breathing. We also want chewing. Um, you know, we want good habits in general, but this is a really major area that I think that is, it's quite scary. You know, there's mm. huge amounts of kid now, kids now that are taking, um, they're having dentistry at age 12. It is possible to have early preventative dentistry or orthodontics. Um, and you can start that from age of six now. Um, it's a big thing in Germany. It's kind of mm. coming over very gradually, very slowly here. Not enough. But, you know, if you've got, not got space for your tongue in your mouth, you've not got space for your teeth to come through, you're only going to have further problems down the line. So by looking at our breathing, by looking at our faces young, we can, we can start to make a difference to our, you know, our adult life, I think. Um, you know, and do your own research on it, please. Mm. Because, it's, you know, I'm not an orthodontist, but it's definitely, it's definitely an area to focus on and, and find out a bit more in. I'll put a link to your book in the show notes. And also, if anyone wants to sign up to a free masterclass of yours, I'll put a link in the show notes for them to do that as well. Great, thank you. Is, is there anything else that children might unknowingly be exposed to in the house or anywhere that, for example, pets that could influence their breathing in a small way? Yeah, so the things to look out for for kids are things like mould, um, damp, which we often just sort of go, oh, I've got a bit of damp, you know, mm. in an old house or whatever. But, you know, it, it can be quite a thing for children if they're start, starting to get breathless or they're, they're feeling like they've got asthma or something like that. Um, it can even imp impact, you know, skin. It can impact, you know, our, our brain fog, et cetera. So looking out for things like that. Pets can be one. So some kids are obviously allergic to cats or dogs, especially if they're in their room with them. might not be ideal. Um, some people are, un you know, unlucky enough to be, um, allergic to like dust mites and, and pollen and all sorts mm. of stuff. 
but the reality is there's lots of reasons why we can have allergies to things and you know there's a whole bigger concept than just breathing but if we look at um, nose breathing we can filter as best we can if we are not nose breathing everything is going into the lungs and so I think that slight awareness of, okay, well, if we can reduce the, the impact that it might have, you know, that the, the amount of allergens that are going in, we can actually make a difference to, then we can change how a child might feel. Um, other things to be aware of are, are sitting postures. You know, is, is your kid like, you know, playing on their like Nintendo Switch like this, you know, or like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like this. And are they actually able to use their, their diaphragm? Mm. Um, you know, I, we ended up buying a screen for my daughter for the wall just to stop her holding a phone because, really? we, didn't, because we want her to have, to have come some cartoons. But mm. I was like, I just want her to be able to sit properly while she mm. watches them. So making her aware of how she sits and, and adjusting her every time so she becomes aware of, of that as well and teaching her how to breathe during it makes a difference. And then things like, you know, if you're becoming teenagers and you are slouched down or you're even adults, <laughs> we're trying to like go on our laptops. You know, these make huge differences mm. to, to how we're then going to be able to use our diaphragm. And from about the age of five, kids start school. We sit down pretty much all day. You know, there are obviously times we do get to run around still, but we're doing more and more and more sitting, mm. you know, less movement, more sort of impacting on that. So just just realizing that we need to bring a bit of awareness to this and, and see what we can do to, to counteract it wherever possible is all we can do. Just following up on from that, the sitting point you mentioned, I saw you were connected to a, you wrote about a quite a scary statistic that 80% of people have screen apnea. Is that when they're at work at a desk and they're, they, they sort of stop breathing? Ooh, I don't know if I wrote that stat. I might have been in a thing with it. Um, so screen apnea is quite interesting. So we find a lot of people that they're sort of, sometimes they're hunched, mm. but quite often it's just a case of seeing a trigger that's uh, that's putting them into a kind of fight or flight. And, you know, you imagine like if there was sort of a wild animal, and you just, you just mm. stop breathing while you suss out the situation to see if it's really dangerous, whether you should like freeze, whether you should run, whether you like fight it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> For that moment, we, we just freeze. And mm. I think when we are constantly on high alert because our our nervous system is kind of a little out of whack or, or our breathing um, is, is kind of not necessarily as functional as it could be, and we have these triggers and this lack of awareness, we are then really uh, being impacted. I still do it very occasionally. You know, it, it, it is, we are meant to <laughs> react in that way to a stressor. Mm. It's more a case of what is a stressor to you and are you constantly on high alert? Like I went out with a friend a while back for a meal and, you know, she was she was so stressed and so on high alert all the time that somebody just kind of came in to go to a different table and she was like, oh, I, just, I just really hate it when people stand there, you know, and it, she was really bothered by these people just here. Mm. And I was a bit like, I mean, should we, should we move? Or, oh, no, I don't, don't, don't want to cause a problem. But it was like, you know, they were just going to their table, but because they were sort of really close she just felt like threatened the mm. whole time and and you know has gone through some support for it to to try and work on that, that kind of stress level but you know we can see in our breath we can see in our movements we can see in how we hold tension in our body um you know quite how stressed we are mm. um and and stress can be good for us but you know when it's chronic um it's, it's not not ideal mm. you mentioned mouth taping earlier yeah. what, what is mouth taping so Mouth taping is a very, uh, it's a new sort of thing that people are really into at the moment. It's got into the papers and things. I use 
kinesiology tape, which is okay. this little thing. So I have these on my website so people know the brands because some like cheap brands can give you, um, uh, what's it called, uh, like blackheads and things like that. Not very nice. Do you want, do you want a fresh one? Yeah, okay. Brilliant, thanks. Um, so mouse tape can be any sort of skin-suitable tape. Um, and obviously, if you've got potential allergies to things, you want to um, mm. check it first. And it's not suitable for everybody, especially not straight away. So if somebody is having panic attacks, struggles to hold their breath for a few seconds, gets breathless really easily, you know, can't hold their, can't slow their breath in the yoga studio like at all compared to other people, then this would be a sign of like a, a potential sort of CO2 tolerance that's reduced. And that means that when you breathe slowly or you hold your breath, that buildup in carbon dioxide is triggering your brain <laughs> to breathe. And that's a natural thing. We want to do that, but we don't want to do it so early. And so people who are really struggling with this breathlessness or these panic attacks, they're often, you know, they're, mm. they're triggering between like either going to panic attack at this end or reduced thing here rather than over here. We want right. this nice space to live in. So mouse taping can be really good, but you don't want to just do it straight away if you're already having breathing problems. You want to train for it. And when we put it on, we can either take the whole mouth, which I personally don't do because I like to use it when I have a cough or a cold. Um, like I haven't lost my nose for a cold in over two and a half years, which is amazing. Um, I, don't, I, I get stuffy, but I can mm. decongest it without having to remove mouth tape or having to switch to my mouth. So when we put it on, it can seal our lips but it can allow us to cough, talk, drink, whatever we need to do. Um, and when we have it, it can help us to not have to choose between a nose or a mouth. It enforces the nose. Mm. And the nose can be stuffy. So, for example, I could be completely blocking this. Mm. I'm just going to breathe for you. Yeah, that's good. And it, it's absolutely fine for me. It doesn't bother me at all. For some people, that would freak them out in the first couple of seconds. Other people, they could maybe make 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes before they start to feel a bit dizzy or something else. So we need to train to the point that that's no longer dizzy, that that's comfortable to have a completely blocked nostril. But if we can do that, we know how to calm ourselves if we're freaked out and we've trained that tolerance, then we can mouth tape. And I use this particular tape because I just like, I like the type of glue on it. I like that it's soft and, and you can use lots of different ones and it's cheaper than buying stuff that's made for you. For kids, you can get myotape that goes all the way around the mouth so they can vomit as well. Um, and obviously not advised if you're a big drinker <laughs> in case you pass out, but you can literally put it on. Mm. Uh, if you have a beard, it can be harder. So you might have to just go the lips. For me, I can actually strap my lips together and get it really nice and secure. When I'm relaxed, I can't breathe through my mouth. But if I want to... Mm. Have I done this right? Uh-huh. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. How's it, it feel? I mean, it's soft. It feels nice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel uncomfortable or claustrophobic. No. I haven't got any cold or a blocked nose at the moment, so that helps. But, I mean, it feels... It doesn't feel weird. It feels a bit weird, but it doesn't mm -hmm. feel uncomfortable. <laughs> we look really cool. Um, I do this... Um, I do this almost every night. Sometimes mm. I leave it off just to test to see what happens, to see if I still snore. Um, and, you know, there are nights when my tongue position will hold because I've trained my tongue. And there are nights when, yeah, if I'm absolutely exhausted or I've had a drink, which I rarely drink, but if I do have a drink, then my tongue might sort of fall back mm. down. I might snore. But um, when I have this on, it holds my chin up so I can't fall away. I then therefore can't easily fall my, fall my tongue away as well. And it just makes all the difference for me. Mm. And this, this is one of the things that 
I would be a little bit sad if I went away for three days for something and forgot mouth tape because I would know that my sleep quality was going to be impacted. I'll certainly be taking this to my TEDx in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> like, hotel room, yeah. and I'm like, that's, that's all I need. Um, I even sometimes open the door to like the postman having it on because I've yeah. forgotten to take it off. or like. <laughs> it's a great start to the talk as well if you come on stage with it on. It's quite a, it's I did quite think about a, that. A, and then visual. I was like, oh yeah, but if I take it off and I've got this little strand of like yellow true, or red yeah, on my yeah. face, it could be like ruin the whole thing. <laughs> With um, snoring, and I don't want to make anyone feel bad for snoring, but what what causes snoring? It can be a range of things. So um, one, we can have a compromised airway. So if, for example, we've had injury or we've had um, like mouth breathing as a child and not forming our faces as as large as we can, it can also be a genetic thing that our faces are smaller. You know, Mm. sometimes you get families and they've all got really, really tiny faces. Um, But, you know, we can add to it as well. So if we've got a reduced airway, that can impact because the smaller the airway, the faster the air compared with um, those who can obviously just take it slowly through a big pipe. The other thing is tongue position. So again, like that feeling like when the tongue's down, we're snoring into the back of our throat Mm. because we are actually blocking off our airway. So if we have something like um, sleep apnea, for example, this can be, again, the airway can be really, really small. Maybe you had um, tonsil issues, adenoid issues. Kids, for example, can have these flare up. What's sleep apnea? Sleep apnea is when you stop breathing in the night for a number of seconds. So like like this is email apnea. This right. is sleep apnea. So you it might be like 10 seconds or, or more, for example, people like literally breathing. And then, right. You know, this oh, sort yeah. of, and yeah. this is quite a, a common example. And so what we have there is um, it, that's a bit more extreme and that can be for various reasons. But with, with snoring in general, we've got the tongue in the wrong place. That's a quick fix. Then it's the airflow can be too fast, which can be reduced airway size, but it also can be you just need to retrain your breathing <laughs> and that you need to slow down that flow, mm. which often you'll get an improvement even if you don't stop snoring when you when you change that flow. And the other thing we've got is actually the toning of the airways. So the tongue being toned, the upper palate being toned, the airways being toned in general. So um, there are different techniques. So when I do my, I have my online course, for example, it's eight weeks. And that last week is actually helping with different toning exercises that people can do to help actually sort of um, open up the airway a little bit more. Some people find that when they put on weight, a bit of weight goes on their neck and it pushes down and that can collapse the airway slightly. Other people find that um, as they hit menopause, for example, they might find that that happens a little bit mm. more. So again, toning up those airways and ho- holding open the the uh, the pipe effectively makes a big difference. Because if we've if you imagine like an air conditioning unit, we have mm. like you know steel pipes going down between. We don't have like flappy sides where it's like <laughs> you know we don't want it like sucking in <laughs> yeah. like a bag on either mm. side. So we we do just need the structure to be right, and then it's a case of what's the actual flow. If you have a flag outside an airport when there's loads of wind they're like you know clanging about when it's just a gentle breeze or nothing they're fine you know they just waft around they don't make the noise so Mm. the wind i.e the over breathing (laughs) can be one of the biggest things along with the tongue but that toning is an extra one and there are some people that go through breathing retraining and they they still do snore but usually they they're reduced but it's a case of if that if that hasn't worked then it's usually a structural issue. The thing I'm most worried about is there's people saying, oh, I'm thinking of having nasal surgery. I broke my nose and I've got like a slight reduced airway on one side. So I'm thinking of having surgery and I'm like, cool. And what are you going to do after the surgery? Like, 
if you don't retrain your breathing, you're never going to start breathing mm. through your nose. So it's it's the um, awareness of we should be looking at what can we do naturally before we go down uh, surgery routes rather than having surgery and then going, I didn't work. I've had five surgeries and I still can't breathe through my nose or I'm still snoring. And then eventually going, oh, there was this thing the whole time. <laughs> so I'm just trying to get a little education out there that we can maybe try the easier thing mm. first. <laughs> Obviously, there's some effort, but it's uh, not as hard as surgery. This has been absolutely fascinating. We've covered so much. If there's some closing tips, the key takeaways, if someone wants to go away and think, okay, some, some basic things I could change right away, what, what would your closing tips be for, for, for better breathing? My closing tips would be train your tongue. Um, at the moment, there is a free uh, video on my website, on my homepage for the end spot. So link feel in the, free uh, to link there. Uh, go to a masterclass with mine if you can, because link. it's free. Again, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's all free, guys. Um, yeah. This will help you learn a little bit more about what you're doing already. I think this is probably one of the most crucial things, and this is why I give it for free, because how are we meant to know what to do if we don't even know what we're doing now? Mm. You know, that's that is so hard. Um, so, so get that awareness and then and then start to just put a little bit of focus into it whenever you want to. And it is about finding habits. You know, I train people in the sense of when you're going on the stairs, when you're going to your car, you know, there are these stacking. We have such wasted time in the day where what are we doing? Either worrying about something or checking our phone. And yet we could be retraining our breathing habits at that point. We don't have to be um, taking 10 minutes and sitting down each morning, 10 minutes each night. As much as meditation is amazing for us, and if you love 10 minutes, do it. If you can make yourself do it, do it. But so many of us don't have that ability. You know, I, I barely do breath work. You know, I do conscious breathing when needed, but bringing in those that tongue position, mm. that awareness to train that, I still use that all the time. Even though mine's trained, I still use the awareness because it grounds me, it brings me back to just check off the basics, make sure that I'm, you know, slowing it down, bringing it down. And, and then I can just carry on. I don't have to spend loads of time setting time aside to do mm. it. It, it. It's a way of life now. So that's what I would say is like bring that awareness and get your tongue trained and go from there. So interesting. I, I attended one of your free masterclasses. And ever since then, I've been so conscious of keeping my mouth shut when I'm watching TV and just generally throughout the day. And I've genuinely noticed a decrease in anxiety. It's in, and that was what two two months ago. It's absolutely fascinating. That makes me really happy. <laughs> How's your running going? Still good. Yeah, still good. Yeah, I do breathe through my mouth when I'm running. Um, so maybe that's something to work on. Still. That's the next stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 just um, it's honestly an honor to be able to help people in this way. And like, obviously, I've got to make an income from something, but why not from something you love mm. and that does something great for people? But it it is just. It never stops warming me. Like whenever people are like, it's just life changing. And I'm like, I know, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it is basic. And I, I think that's the thing. Like it's not complicated. It's just the slight subtleties that make it hard for some people. Most people that listen to this will be able to go away, try their D spot, try their N spot and already be feeling a difference. And mm. that might be enough for them. Other people will be like, I'm, I'm really struggling and I really need my hand held. And those are the people that might need help. But there's so many people that just need to know the education. Um, and then, you know, tell it to kids. Mm. Buy the book if you want to, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I but no, you know, it, it, it's a case of, you know, there wasn't a resource in the world. And I want, I want people to be teaching the next generation mm. because we can make such a difference for them. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge here today. We're um, honoured to have you. Thank you so much. It's amazing. Thank you. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 